0: I'm going to ask Jacob to come now with the scripture reading for this evening, and as well, he would lead us in prayer, please. Again, we welcome you, Rob. Okay. It's great to be back with you all tonight, this evening. Today's, tonight's scripture reading is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 down to 18, it's pages 12, it's page 1267 in the Pew Bible. And as I said before, 1 John follows just after 2 Peter. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For... This is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in
1: deed and in truth. Let's pray. Father God, thank you once more that we can come
0: to rejoice in you, to praise you, to thank you for who you are. Thank you for your salvation that you have provided for us. Thank you that each of us, coming from all sorts of places, from all different scenarios and different contexts, Lord, we each
1: share in the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, by your love, because of Christ, what he has done for us. Lord, I thank you for this this time of peace here in Sudbury where
0: we can worship you and praise you openly without fearing for our lives. Let us not take advantage of that or rather let us take advantage of this this time and not waste it. Thank you for who you are, Lord. And I pray that everyone here would grow in our love for you. And as we grow in our love for you, that we would
1: likewise grow in our love for one another, as it ought to be. And I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit's help, we might be able to love in word, not just in word, but in truth,
0: and in deed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Brother, again, we welcome you, and the Lord bless as you open the word to us.
0: Thank you, brother. Okay. First John, chapter 3, we're continuing from this morning with a little bit of overlap. Those born of God are righteous, as we said, and saw this morning. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. But not only that, we aren't just righteous in Christ. We are also referred to as God's workmanship, created for good good works in Christ. Even as we know, such works do not earn our salvation. Earlier, we talked about the children of God quite often. And that theme really is prevalent throughout John's letter, although not many of us are related, you and I are able to call one another brothers and sisters because we are, in fact, brothers and sisters in Christ. We are together children of God if indeed you believe in the name of the Son of God, if you truly confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. John's Gospel says that, but to all who did receive him, that is Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who believe have been born again, born of God, by the will of God, as the children of God. Now it's good to be reminded of this, that who you are in Christ, changes how you relate primarily to God, but it also has implications on how we relate to one another. And especially those of the household of faith, as Galatians says. And that's what I came here to preach about today. Since we are children of God, brothers and sisters in one spiritual body, with Christ as a head, then let us act like it. Indeed, throughout the whole letter, a great portion of it, beyond what was just read today, is devoted to the children of God compared against the children of the devil. And how the children of God, those who have been born of God, who have God's seed abiding in them, must act in a certain way. You and I, brothers and sisters, are called to love. The children of the devil, on the other hand, are marked by sin, which, no matter how it may appear on the outside, manifests itself as enmity against God, as hatred against God. For our passage today, you'll notice that I've included verse 10
1: alongside verses 11 through 18. The reason that I did
0: this is because John's train of thought his argument flows from one passage directly into the other. In the previous passage, starting in chapter 2, verse 28, going down to chapter 3, verse 10, John is making a distinction between those who are who are the children of God versus those who are of the devil. Sin marks those of the devil since, as chapter 3, verse 8 says, the devil has, himself has been sinning from the beginning. Listen to what Christ says in John 8, Verses forty-two to forty-four of those who claimed to be the children of Abraham, but were deceiving themselves. Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, ye would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God; neither came I of myself, but He sent me. Why do you Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because, the, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, he, for he is a liar and the father of it. Christians, those who are born again, the children of God, however, are marked in our passage today by righteousness and love not as the sons of the, and the children of the devil are by hatred. In verse, John, in verse 10, 1 John chapter 3, it says, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. We've read this several times already. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he
1: that loveth not his brother. It's important to note that this
0: topic is carried on into the next passage through the examples of Cain and Christ. See how verse 11 starts with a small but very important conjunction. The word for, conjunctions generally and certainly in this case, bind together two words, concepts, phrases, or passages. Here, it is John's way of showing that what he is saying next, starting in verse 11, Follows from what came before, and as we look at the text, we can see that more clearly in a thematic sense as well. In verses ten through eighteen, John naturally progresses in his discourse from an abstract disc- discussion about who the children of God are versus who the children of the devil are to a concrete discussion where he includes the example of Cain full of murder and hatred in these verses. Contrasted against the example of Christ in verse 16, where he laid down his life for others and the brothers and sisters of the faith who love likewise by their actions. John is putting forth his his theology of love and hate with the concrete examples of Cain and Christ here. Let's flesh that out a little. Cain is given as an example of a child of the devil, as described in 1 John 3.10. There, John declares that the one who does not love his brother is a child of the devil. And 3.11 brings up how the new commandment is old in one sense, as it has been heard from the beginning. Now, to show this, John takes his readers back to the beginning in one of the earliest stories in Genesis and demonstrates how love and hate works themselves out even there. Cain exemplifies one who hates his brother because his hatred manifests itself in the form of murder. Verse 12. He's truly acting like his father, the devil. If you recall, as I quoted from, first, from John chapter 8, where Jesus says that the devil has been a liar and a murderer since the beginning. After all, Cain does not practice righteousness And in a very real and violent way, he does not love his brother, Abel. That is what is happening in verses 11 down through 15. Hebrews 11 gives us a little more context here. It says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it, He being dead, yet speaketh. Abel was commended as righteous. His faith worked itself out by offering an appropriately excellent sacrifice for the Lord. But Cain's own deeds were evil. And that is why he murdered Abel. John makes it plain that he brings up their story to help separate those who have eternal life from those who do not. When he says, we know that we have passed from death unto life. Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Cain abided in death. Cain hated his brother so much that he murdered him, a murder born from the hatred in his heart a murder that was merely an extension of and the natural conclusion of his hatred. This is something that we've heard before. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount says in Matthew 21 and 22, where just as the one who lusts commits adultery in his or her heart, so also it is not just the murderer who is liable for judgment, but also all hatred itself deserves such condemnation. But I say unto you, that, so, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka some kind of insult, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever shall, whosoever shall say thou fool to his brother shall be in danger of hellfire. So those in darkness hate their brother and may reveal their heart by such an extreme act as murder. Now the opposite, of course, is love. Not only as it was taught by Jesus, Paul and John in their sayings and writings, but most especially as it was most gloriously enacted by Jesus Christ on that cross. Whereas the one who hates his brother, is liable to murder him, the one who loves his brother would lay down his life for the sake of his brother. This is Jesus' command, that we love one another as he loved us. I hope you can see how much John loves using two contrasting ideas, two completely opposing things to highlight how different they are from the other. On the one hand, there's the devil and the other there is God. There are the children of the devil, and there are the children of God. There is hatred, where there should be love. And then there is murder, the act of taking another's life, flipped on its head in the most selfless act possible, laying down one's own life for another. This is what we are called to do. This is what we are called to imitate. This is the main part that I want to emphasize today, that the children of God show themselves to be God's children by their love. You know the old song, we sh- they shall know we are Christians by our love. You must love your brothers and sisters, and you must love them as Christ did. That's what verse 16 says. There's a command in the Holy Scriptures, a command from on high to love our brothers and sisters as Christ loved us. Take a look at his example. This means nothing less than laying down our lives for the sake of our friends and brothers. Let me list just a few verses to show this. 1 John 3.16, what we were just looking at. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. John's Gospel, chapter 15, 12 to 13, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 5, 6 through 8, likewise says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scar- that is us for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward, it, toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us that 's the beauty of the gospel right there, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us for you and i but again ephesians 5 verses chapter ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2 also points to how we are supposed to imitate christ to imitate god in this be ye therefore followers followers of god as dear children and walk in love as christ also has loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. I hope you're getting a sense of how much priority the Scriptures give to us in imitating Christ, in His love, in laying down His life for each of us. But I feel it is also very important that we keep at least one more passage in mind here as well, brothers and sisters. We need to remember First Corinthians chapter 13, Verse 3, in that great passage on love, it says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Is that not a frightening thought? Our passage today, First John, talks about laying down our very lives for our brothers and sisters. And just like 1 Corinthians, it also talks about giving what we have to those in need. We can do all of this. We can give away all of our riches. We can sacrifice everything, including our lives. But if it is
1: not done out of love, then it means nothing. God help us. Now, my concern here is that even though the scriptures command
0: us to love, and they give us concrete examples of love in Christ, most especially, we all know how hard it is to take those commands and examples and make them a reality in our own life, don't we? But the Christian life demands the application of the knowledge that we receive. The Christian life is, as I said before, an obedient faith. It's important to realize that just as hatred does not only look like its most extreme form of murder, so also love does not always look like physically dying on behalf of our loved ones, though we should be prepared to joyfully do so if the need arises. As much as he fully displayed it in his death, Jesus Christ also demonstrated love during his life by how he lived and how he served. He loved his disciples by washing their feet, even though he was their master. In 1 John, John gives, an, gives us an example from Deuteronomy 15. 1 John
1: chapter 3, verse 17, speaks of closing our heart
0: to those in need. We are, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to ensure that our brothers have what they need. The one who closes his heart, that is, refusing to give to your brother in need, even though you have in abundance, does not have God's love abiding in him, and therefore does not have eternal life. On the other hand, those who have eternal life love not, in word, neither in tongue, or by our speech, but in deed and in truth. Brothers and sisters, let us remember the poor in our midst. Now, there may be disagreements along the political spectrum in terms of which policies help them most. Some seem more detrimental than others. I'm not here to talk about that. God's word reminds us that we must not harden our hearts against the poor, especially those of the household of God. I reference Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through 9, warns us against those in Israel. And this is what John is referencing as well. It warns against those in Israel who saw those in need and thought to themselves, Ah, the year of jubilee is
1: arriving shortly. This poor man, he shall have his needs fulfilled then. I do not need to give to him. Let
0: us beware, brothers and sisters, lest thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him not, and he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be sin unto thee. Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works, and in all that thou Putest thy hand unto, for the poor shall never seize out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor and to thy needy in thy land. Yes, we may say to ourselves that that this is the Old Testament community of God, not the New Testament covenant we share. But let us not be so quick. Beware against hardening our hearts. Remember that this is not the first time that John actually strongly advocates for loving our poor brothers and sisters. After all, it was John, as well as Peter and James, that Paul went to and confirmed his testimony, as it is recorded in Galatians 2. And what do the apostles say after affirming the truth of Paul's testimony and the gospel? Verse 10, Galatians 2, says that they remind him... To remember the poor. The very thing Paul was already keen to do. Brothers and sisters, loving one another is vital to the Christian faith. It is vital for the children of God. After all, 1 John 4.20 says that, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has has seen how can he love god whom he hath not seen if we cannot love the people right in front of us if we cannot love the ones beside us the ones we are with the ones before our very eyes then how could we ever possibly love god who is invisible who is spirit we cannot see god chapter 4 in First John, verse 12, it says, No man has seen God at any time. If you cannot love your brothers and sisters, then why should you think you can love God? So love one another. Speak the truth in love. Care for one another. Pray for one another. With one another. Mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. Love one another. Earlier I pointed out that verse 10 indicates how the children of God act. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. But, and this is extremely important, what do we do if we do not meet that mark? What if... We do not have affection for our spouse anymore. What do we do if we are irritated with a brother in Christ? What if we find hatred flaring up in one way or another? What do we do if we cannot forgive our sister in Christ? Well, brothers and sisters, until that day when our faith will be made sight, we do not need to despair. When we sin, yes, we mourn and we weep over Our sin with godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Let us abhor our selfish nature that seeks to please ourselves instead of loving God or loving our neighbors as we ought. Hate the sin within you, but do not despair. Say with Micah, as he says in Micah chapter 7, verse 8, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. How can we say that? How can we say that after we have committed sin? After yelling at our mother or our father? Losing patience with our spouse? Getting angry while we're driving? Giving in to one lust or temptation or another? Spending too much time watching the TV? Depressing news? YouTube? Scrolling Facebook? Facebook? What about hating our politicians for their policies instead of praying for them? How can we say what Micah says after we, finite little humans, commit sin against our holy, almighty God? How can we stand under the weight of our conscience or the accusing finger of the devil? Believe, O oh brothers and sisters, believe that we are only able to love because He has loved us first. First John four nineteen. Now the passage in Micah verses eight through ten continues. It says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and execute judgment for me, he will bring me forth to light and I shall behold his righteousness. I hope you're seeing some of the thematic overlaps here. Micah says, he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. That is our hope, isn't it? 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say that, And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the one who pleads on our behalf so the passage in micah concludes then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me where is the lord your god my eyes will look upon her now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets is this not similar to what shall become of our terrible accuser the devil? of that father of lies who has been lying since the beginning, who would have have the whole world believe that there is no way, that there is no truth, no life, no Christ. Had the scriptures not foretold how the devil shall be tossed into that everlasting lake of fire, thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, tormented day and night forever and ever, that is the end of our enemy. And what are the consequences of sin that we fear? What happens to death? Is it not likewise cast into that lake of fire? Powerless once and for all? In Christ, because He is our advocate with the Father, because He was sent to be the propitiation for our sins, because the blood of Jesus, God's very Son, Son cleanses us from all sin because Christ did not stay in that tomb but rose up in victory and defeated death because of all this. By believing all of this, we are the children of God. We have eternal life. 1 John 1, verse 9. I skipped over it in this morning's service. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is our only hope. God has provided for us, the children of God, both means of forgiveness for our failures of love. In Christ But at the same time, he has also provided for us the Holy Spirit so that we are in fact able to love little children, children of God. May we go forth tonight being able to love not only in word or talk,
1: but in deed and in truth. Amen.